and and expand people's thinking about what economies can look like in a healthy and positive way. And I think that that um, diversity um, in the economic system can help create the conditions for a healthier expression of capitalism than what we have now. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Okay, good day everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Uh, Janae, please go ahead. Thank you, Maurice. Uh, Wonderful to meet all of you today. My name is Janae Lewis and I'm the CEO of Faith in Public Life. And we are a national organization based in Washington, D.C., but we work with faith leaders across the country from a variety of faith traditions uh, to help help them lift their voices uh, in service of the common good. Uh, As for myself, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, and many people don't think that folks are from D.C. or that they stay here, but there are lots of us here. And I always like to start by sharing that I come from a family of very inspiring women uh, who taught me about service and love and courage and faith. And one of them, my aunt Maxine, um, often reminds me when we're engaging with people from different faith traditions, that uh, we shouldn't look at what's different from ours, but look for what is the same. And I think that sums up how I approach most things in my life, my faith, my family, uh, my work, my service. Um, As for my faith tradition, I am a cradle Catholic, Roman Catholic, Mm. but I think that um, a more accurate description of me is a Christian mystic. Um, So I find deep wisdom in the church and across faith traditions. And I think I'm always looking for uh, what is true, what is true everywhere, what is the same. And to me, that's a reflection of who God is in our lives. Um, And that's led me to a bunch of values that that drive my life and drive everything that I do. Um, And I think first and foremost is this belief that we're all beloved children of God. And Jesus is my focal point, but I also believe that every human being has dignity and is made in the image and likeness of God. So I'm always looking for how can I help people be more empowered and claim that identity as God's beloved child? Um, How can I bring honesty and transparency and courage and wisdom into the world? And I also draw a lot of inspiration um, from two African uh, traditions, Ubuntu and Sankofa. Mm. Ubuntu is... uh, an idea that uh, we are in relationship with one another and we need each other. Um, Our existence uh, is intimately connected to everyone around us. And Sankofa is about remembering where we come from, even as we move forward, and that there's always wisdom from the past that can help us move forward in life. So leading faith in public life allows me to exercise these values and do work that reminds all of us every day that God loves us and that we should make policies and build systems and treat each other as if that's the truth, because it is.
Janae, tell us tell us a bit about you know your upbringing. You you were born as well in DC, so we understand now you know um, you know how faith how that plays a role. Um, but you when you look back at your uh, youths, when did it start to play a role? How how was that? And and um, yeah, how how did it ultimately make made it you know who you are today and how you work and and uh, how you think yeah <laughs> i always found myself in uh this bridge building space or in between space so i was raised catholic but until i was in the sixth grade i went to baptist school um i grew up in the suburbs in a very diverse racially diverse neighborhood but my high school um, was predominantly white in the city and so I often found myself, even as a child, in these places where um, I was navigating between different worlds or different perspectives. And I gravitated towards roles where I could help people find connections with each other, even when they didn't think they had a connection. And often those connections help us find new solutions or a new path. Um, so my career has reflected that as well. It's been so, sort of eclectic, but it, it makes sense in retrospect. So I started as a faith-based community organizer and I have a master's degree in peace building and conflict resolution, mm. which I also studied a little bit internationally as well. Um, I've done some work with elected officials to help them understand racism and how it impacts policy and people's daily lives. Um, but I've also worked with military families. Mm. So I've done a lot of different things, but all of this work, um, whether I was looking at racial groups or religious groups, it was about connecting people across those groups for shared purpose and improving their community. And so faith in public life is a natural fit because our country needs our faith traditions right now to remind us of our shared values and remind us how we can work together for the common good to transcend the current divides that we have. You know, when you look back at, at uh, you know, your youth and, and uh, children that your older children you played with, um, has there been maybe a moment or a memory where, you know, that is really significant to ultimately where you you know, what you chose to study. Yeah, I think, I think there has been. So as I said, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, mm -hmm. racially diverse. And um, until I was in the ninth grade, um, I was going to school with people from many different places. So uh, some of my friends, their parents and their grandparents were immigrants from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, I had other friends who were African immigrants. I had friends who are biracial, other African-Americans like myself, um, white folks. So there's a wide variety of, of people. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, just the privilege of growing up and visiting my friends' homes, having sleepovers or birthday parties and meeting their relatives or eating different types of food from different places, hearing people speak different languages. And that was very formative for me. I didn't, I didn't realize how much it was until I became an adult and I visited other places. Um, my first job was in Central Florida, which is a very segregated community. Mm -hmm. And while there are many different types of people there, people sort of stay to their own um, their own group, if you will. And I I felt viscerally how different that community was from how I grew up, just being mm -hmm. exposed and welcomed 
and welcoming to people from all these different places. And um, that connection helped me realize that uh, the the place where I grew up is a reflection of a beloved community and mm. an ideal community where we're learning from each other and accepting one another. And I felt very strongly that I wanted to help other people have that experience too. And Janae, I mean, you just told me that, that um, you know, you, after a period of nine months being the interim executive director, you, you're now, or you will be, you know, the, 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 the actual executive director. So congratulations um, with that. That's, that's great. And, and the question that I have for you is, um, yeah, how, how do you hope that, you know, you know, X number of years from now, when you look back and at your work, um, you know, with, with your organization, um, what you would have done? I'm very excited about Faith and Public Life's future. And we are working on the finishing touches right now of our strategic plan. But uh, when I reflect on what I hope will accomplish at Faith and Public Life, um, it's both interpersonal and systemic because the best of our faith traditions accomplish that. So on an interpersonal level, um, I believe that our faith leaders can help us experience a deeper sense of belonging and a deeper spiritual connection to one another across the country. So many folks in the U.S. right now um, feel very isolated, feel very unseen and unheard, and feel very alone. And I think our faith traditions uh, have lessons and guidance to help us through that. But I also think that faith in public life is uniquely positioned to uh, help us change systems and create a country where our human rights are held sacred. And so I know we'll talk a little bit later about sustainable development goals and some other things, but uh, we are looking at faith leaders lifting up our voices in the public sphere uh, to really change laws and policy and narrative and culture in such a way that it becomes normal for every person living in our country uh, to, to feel that their human rights are sacred. Mm. Um, no, thanks for, for that. I have a question for you because we also often talk during this podcast about leadership and, and you know, your situation is, I think, interesting and a lot of people... Um, yeah, would would be um, appreciate your opinion or your experience around this because you are the first executive director after the founder, right? Because it was founded by Reverend uh, Jennifer Butler. Yes, correct. Yeah, and she's still on the board. Uh, if I... uh, she's she's actually founder in residence. Yeah. So okay. She's staff person, founder in residence. Yeah. Okay. So so how how does how is that? Because you know, do you feel it enormous? You know, burden on your shoulders because you're the first one who moves this, you know, to the next uh, level. How how is it? So it's uh, transitions are challenging and tricky, mm -hmm. no matter how they come. But having Jen as founder in residence is a deep value and mm -hmm. asset to faith of public life. Uh, not only because of her institutional knowledge, but also because of what she has contributed and is still contributing to the field. She had great vision to start Faith and Public Life and um, still is speaking very eloquently and passionately against things like white Christian nationalism and other threats to our democracy and how our faith is being co-opted. 
So her presence in the organization um, helps us very much in the spirit of Sankofa to remember our past and remember our history and where we've come from. Mm -hmm. um, and also to help carry that forward with those lessons that we've learned. Um, in terms of my leadership role, we have uh, a clear distinction between the roles that we play. So the mm -hmm. role that I play in leading the organization and making decisions about the future strategic direction and the role that she plays in providing thought leadership and advising um, around how it can be relevant. That's been really important for us to work well uh, together. Hmm. Right. No, and, and, and I think, and thank you for explaining that. I, I think uh, that's really helpful for, you know, other leaders out there who are uh, facing similar uh, situations. Janae, is there anything you would like to lift up in terms of the organization or a project that you are working on? Um, yeah, is there anything? Absolutely. So the legacy, um, the, the best value mm -hmm. of faith and public life has been our work on democracy and our democratic process and helping faith leaders uh, preserve the integrity of our democratic process, whether it's elections or laws that govern elections, um, and, and other aspects as well. So even though 2023 is not an election year in most places, um, it's still an activation year. We're still very, very active. Um, we have staff in Florida, Georgia, and Ohio, and we also are partnering nationally with other groups uh, to look at how we can make sure that um, our elections are safe. Um, legislation that's coming up in those states both trying to uh, put prohibitive bans around abortion access and holistic reproductive health care and legislation that is restricting uh, access to voters. Um, we're fighting against both of those things across, across those states. So we're very active this year, engaging clergy and partners in doing that. And uh, we invite anyone who's listening who would like resources uh, and better understanding about how to talk about those issues from a faith perspective to sign up for our mailing list. And is your organization mainly focusing on the U.S. or is it also global? Yes, our organization is domestic, so we focus okay. only on the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And if if not mistaken, is that still, you know, when I did my homework properly, hopefully, you also uh, pay a lot of attention to immigration uh, issues. Is that correct? So historically, uh, we were very, very active um, around federal legislation, around immigration and some other legislation. We haven't worked on that issue in recent years, but we do still stay in touch with some partners who do. Mm -hmm. And so um, as certain unique issues pop up or particular legislation or particular court cases, we do monitor it mm -hmm. and we can activate our network from time to time if there's something specific to take action on. Okay. Um, let, let me jump uh, back to the elections yes it's another year um you know but it, it, you already feel that a lot of things are happening as, as you also alluded to um so yeah what is your biggest fear you know of what could happen to this country because we have and are maybe are still experiencing a lot of polarization so so what do you hope you know um the faith in public life would contribute, you know, within that process that, that yeah. uh, this this country, you know, really realizes this is one country and we need to do it uh, together, whatever the, ultimately the result of the elections is, right? Yeah. 
So I do worry um, that our country is trending towards violence. Mm. Um, so something that Faith of Public Life has done for several election cycles is train clergy to be present at polling places on election days to help be peacekeepers or to help um, uh, prevent violence before it starts. But unfortunately, I think in general, our country is trending towards violence. And I don't necessarily mind uh, conflict because I think it is necessary for us to wrestle and debate important questions and even critique strongly parts of our society that are not serving us well. But I recognize that there have been many leaders over the last several decades who worked hard to stoke fear um, among folks in the United States. And when we're afraid, it becomes much harder to act as our best selves in alignment with our values. So I think um, fear and anger lead people to seek protection and to be vigilant looking for threats and to feel that the only way to protect themselves is violence. And so I'm seeing more people both on an individual level and at a systemic level considering violence when I don't think they would have before. Um, and I think that violence extends to our language as well. So our, our faith traditions teach us the power of our words and that um, our language, when it trends towards violence, also uh, can support or undergird physical violence. Uh, all that said, uh, I'm still very hopeful because uh, in my faith tradition and Christianity and also in other faith traditions, I think we have so many beautiful lessons about how to navigate our fear and how to have courage, strength of the heart in place of, of fear. So um, I've been reflecting and praying quite a bit on Psalm 23, actually, um, the Lord is my shepherd, valley and shadow of death. Many people are familiar with that one. Um, but what's beautiful about that Psalm is that it's not about, uh, retribution against enemies, but it's about uh, safety and anointing and security, even in the presence of enemies. Um, and I think that as human beings, we have the potential to help one another, even in the face of crisis and in the face of fear. And we've seen that with some of the natural disasters happening recently, and even war and terrorist attacks. So I think we just need our faith leaders and our faith traditions to remind us how to do that and, and tell us what the guides are. Um, and faith in public life uh, helps faith leaders do that to remind us to be courageous and loving despite our fear. What, what, uh, if, if there are clergy listening, um, uh, religious leaders listening, and I would like to, you know, uh, get in contact with you what should i do so please uh visit our website faithinpubliclife.org and again you can sign up for our mailing list there around different particular issues um, and stay involved in some of the things that we have coming up um you can also follow me on twitter at ms janae lewis although i will admit i'm not very active on twitter uh, but i am very active when it comes to to work and you can follow Faith of Public Life on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as as well. Great. And I'm sure that we also mentioned it in the notes of the podcast. Um, Janae, in terms of um, other faith, that's, I mean, you you don't only work with Christians. Uh, Correct. Right? So it's, it's anybody from any faith who's listening, who would like to work with you, collaborate, they should reach out. 
Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I would like to to jump to you know the actual reason why uh, I started this podcast. It's a spin-off of a hundred mile walk uh, that I've been doing since 2012, and actually I I uh, just finished my 11th uh, two weeks ago. I'm still recovering from an injury that I got. <laughs> Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Um, so. My question to you is, if, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in, in five to seven days, which course would you uh, walk? You know, and which means 15 to 20 miles a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it would be the right to vote and a free and fair electoral process. So uh, it's great that Faith and Public Life is working on that. Um, but it's very important to me. My grandparents on my mother's side uh, are from Louisiana and they experienced voter suppression in their lifetime. Mm. And I um, have worked at polling places and precincts in three different states as a precinct worker. Um, I've witnessed discrimination at polling places against immigrants and returning citizens. And I've even been given misinformation when I've gone to vote. So uh, those experiences led me to work as a precinct worker um, and also led me uh, in part to run for local office in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. in 2020. So I ran uh, for city council in 2020. I would say running for office during a global pandemic is probably feels about the same as walking 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not win the election, but um, I know that I did make a difference and um, was able, able to talk about some of the issues that are important to me and my community. Um, But I would say that issue would motivate me to walk 100 miles. And when I was reflecting on this question, I thought about a quote that I heard once uh, during a training on climate justice. I don't know who said it. So if someone listening knows who said this quote, please tell me. Um, But the quote was, if you are not prepared to govern, you are not prepared to be free. And that stood out to me because I think liberation from all the things that bind us, whether it's systems of oppression or even false narratives about ourselves and our self-worth, um, habits that harm us instead of nurture us. Liberation from these things is, is a spiritual act. Um, it's how we get closer to behaving and existing as the divine beings that we are. So this quote says that liberation is a responsibility. Governance is a responsibility uh, to remember who we are and to make decisions for ourselves and others out of a place of freedom. So I strongly believe our vote is the entry point for how we govern ourselves. And so it's the entry point for our liberation. You know, why do you, what makes, you know, you getting out of bed and... Yeah, I... Uh, optimistically believe in the potential of human beings. And I think uh, there is, there's a need to be honest um, with ourselves about where we are as a human race and not glide over it or pretend that there aren't challenges that face us. Um, But we also need to be honest about the potential of who we can be. And what gets me out of bed is uh, holding that that paradox, holding that potential. Um, I think there's so many wonderful entry points and issues that we can work on to make the world a better place. Uh, but I think um, many of those issues 
are important to me, uh, but what really drives me is seeing human beings and seeing humanity get better and better every single day. That's what motivates me. Going back to the walk for the second is, you know, um, so I'm, I'm often accompanied for a couple of miles by, by you know, uh, different folks from local food banks or uh, partner organizations. And then uh, actually very often, if not always, we start talking about spirituality uh, because there is something in walking. You know, you, you start, <laughs> first of all, I'm often thinking about why am I doing this, for God's sake. Uh, but uh, but then, um, yeah, with, with the other, it's, it's about uh, religion, spirituality, and then very quickly about the younger generation. And... You know, are they different? Are they, uh, because, you know, especially maybe in, in Christianity, uh, there are less people going to, uh, younger people going to church. Why is that? So my question that I have for you is, is uh, what do you see happening among youth in your community in relation to faith? Uh, the definition of youth is always slippery, depending who you're talking about. Mm. But um, but I'll I'll just say, I think young people are, distrustful of institutions that previous generations uh, relied on. And I think young people are right to be distrustful because so many of our institutions, including religious institutions, have not lived up to their ideals. And um, something that I think is an opportunity for us is that young people are less tolerant of that lack of integrity. I also see that young people are still very much committed to community. And they're very committed to building authentic relationships and making positive change. Um, and they see their spirituality as a way to do that. Um, and by spirituality, I mean seeking deeper meaning for their lives and seeking authentic relationships. So we don't always recognize that orientation as spiritual, but, but I believe that's a deeply spiritual orientation um, and I observe young people looking for communities and opportunities uh, to live that way with integrity. I also uh, think that our institutions are having an identity crisis right now. Um, there's a choice in front of them, right? Whether uh, to preserve their own existence as it always has been or to evolve and grow to become even more relevant for this time. And so my hope for young people um, even with this this gift that they have of being honest and and being intolerant of um, of of this lack of integrity, my hope is that um, young people can also deepen in the spiritual discipline of grace, specifically uh, how to stay in relationship even with flawed people and institution, um, while offering grace, uh, offering a level of forgiveness but in a way that doesn't sacrifice being honest and unapologetic about what needs to change. And I, and I think that is a, a spiritual discipline. It's something that has to be practiced. Um, there's no right answer exactly how to do it every single time. Uh, and so my hope for young people is that uh, they're already very spiritual, that, that that can be more of their spiritual practice. Thanks for, for sharing um, that, that hope. Um, yeah, I have a question that is maybe beyond yours, but but uh, um, 
what are the things that you worry about most? Yeah. Um, I do worry about the violence that I mentioned earlier. So mm. I think that, um, I think just globally, we're in a time of great change uh, with COVID um, and certainly in the United States, but really happening internationally, governments are, are undergoing great change. And so that brings a level of uncertainty, brings a level of fear. Um, but my hope is that it doesn't bring deep widespread violence. Um, my hope is that uh, we are able to learn our lessons and grow and evolve without the the strong catalyst of deep widespread violence. Um, and so that is something that, that worries me. But I will say that um, I observe some folks wanting to prevent that violence and curtail that violence by any means necessary, even if it means ignoring injustice or sidelining issues. And I don't think that's the way. I don't think that's the path because eventually those things will just keep coming back around. Um, so, so my hope is that uh, at Faith in Public Life and other organizations, we can model ways to be um, really unapologetic and honest um, about what needs to change and about social justice, uh, but give people a pathway that doesn't require violence. Yeah, when when I you know think about hope, um, I, I get a, I get a lot of hope about the fact that as a world, we work on the sustainable uh, development goals together. It's it's far from perfect, but at least we have a framework that we you know, yeah, is it, a result of discussions you know of different folks within the world. Again, you know, it was not perfect, but it's what we have. Um, my question to my guests is always. Um, well, I know you were alluding to the SDGs already, so I know you know about the SDGs. Yeah. Um, but what do you want the listeners to know about the Sustainable Development Goals? Yeah, I think any framework that uh, seeks to engage the complexity and acknowledge that we live in an ecosystem that affects one another, um, there's a potential for deep transformation and great mm. change. And so I'm excited about the SDGs. Um, I also think it's wonderful that it provides, they provide different entry points for people. So if you're passionate about the economy or about the climate or about education, there's a pathway for you to enter into the framework. So, so I think, I think it's a strong framework. I think it's an exciting framework. Um, but something that comes to mind when I look at the SDGs is that um, they threaten the status quo. Right, because it's this vision for a better world, which will require the status quo going away, particularly to those who hold power and privilege. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Frederick Douglass, uh, who was an American abolitionist. And he said, power concedes nothing without demand. It never did and it never will. So, mm. you know, living here in the United States, I have quite a bit of privilege um, when you compare my standard of living on a global scale. Um, and I feel in myself sometimes mild resistance to give it up, even though I believe in these goals. Uh, and I think that's human nature. So as we work towards these goals, I think that we um, just need to be really honest and acknowledging our own human nature and that we fall short, short sometimes. Be gracious with one another um, about falling short sometimes, but really staying focused on the goal and pushing one another 
to navigate that discomfort uh, towards towards these goals. Um, but if we're if we're not gracious with each other and just sort of acknowledging our own human nature, I think it, it'll be hard to sustain the change. Piggybacking a little bit about your comment on on falling short on on the SDGs and 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 we and we are you know if, yeah. if you know the latest report is saying well we need to step step it up um, there is a growing number of people that um, you know is saying that you know one of the reasons that we are not making the progress on these SDGs that we need to make is because we do not pay proper attention to the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we need as an individual and as a community. And, you know, they did a survey and then they came up with um, inner development goals. So there are five goals. Um, uh, being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. And um, my question to you is, if you have you heard about the inner development goals? And then the second part of the question is, uh, when you hear me think, uh, you know, talk about these, in their development goals, does it make sense to you in terms of that they are required, um, you know, beside the SDGs? Yeah, I was not familiar with them until uh, we were going to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I, I did a little research. And again, it's, it's a holistic framework. Um, and certainly as a contemplative Christian, it's very familiar. Um, they seem similar to the values uh, that I hold and that mm -hmm. I know other faith traditions hold in terms of understanding self and relationship to other human beings. So I think that there is potential there. Um, I do think it's necessary for us as individuals to do our own work um, in terms of understanding ourselves and our relationship to others. But I don't think that is the only solution to achieving the sustainable development goals. Um, again, referencing my quote from Frederick Douglass about power, I think even if all of us uh, have a, a spiritual or mental or emotional shift and want something else, um, there's still uh, those who stand to lose from shifting the status quo. And that is, that is a systemic uh, wrestling that needs to happen. Um, and there needs to be enough of a demand from all of us that we want a different way of life um, to confront um, the, the current status quo. So uh, I, I do think the interdevelopment goals are a great opportunity. It's a strong framework. And I, I, I agree with everything that's there. Those are things we should practice. Um, but I would not uh, say that they are a replacement for doing social justice work and paying attention to systems change. Okay. Um... One of the one of the things that I try to do with this podcast is also connect people. You know, I'm connecting you with the listeners. Um, I would also like to connect you with my previous guest who has a question for you. What are you What are you accepting as doctrine of our economic system that ought to be questioned? for the sake of human dignity? I think that is an excellent question and a complex question. Um, I would say there is an assumption and a narrative in the US that if you work hard enough, you'll be okay, you'll be able to survive and have what you need. But the unspoken rule 
of our economy is that uh, each person's economic stability in the US functions a little bit like a gamble, um, like a, a game of chance. The more money you have to risk, the higher your potential reward. Um, and whether it's conscious or unconscious, people know that, they, they know that. So there are many folks in the US, particularly uh, people um, from lower economic statuses that say uh, they don't trust parts of our economic system. And, and I think it's because we don't trust casinos to have our best interests in mind, right? So to solve that, I don't, I don't think there's an easy solution um, because we all participate in this current extractive version of capitalism that we have in the United States. It continues because we participate. Um, and this is related to what I was saying earlier about the inner development goals. I know I certainly benefit from it because I have advanced degrees and I have a 401k and I, I own my home. Um, it, it requires a culture shift at a massive scale. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing, I'm a part of a few cooperatively owned businesses. Uh, one is a grocery co-op um, and another is um, a bank that I'm a part of. And I will say it's hard, particularly to be a, an owner, a cooperative owner of a business. It's really hard to do things differently. But I do think that making uh, more cooperative models of building wealth available in the US can help promote uh, that culture change and, and expand people's thinking about what economies can look like in a healthy and positive way. And I think that that um, diversity um, in the economic system can help create the conditions for a healthier expression of capitalism than what we have now. Your question for the next guest. Oh my, I'm gonna need a, a minute on this one. Take your time. Okay. My question for the next guest is, what do they believe the biggest cultural influence is right now in the United States? Uh, and what do they believe can impact it? Right. Um, Janae, I would like to, to um, because, you know, working on injustice and inequity within the US is a very important part of your work, uh, you know, and of who you are as a person as well. I mean, that's what I understood so far. Um, if we look at racial justice issues and um, our sector, the NGO sector, um, how do you think we did? <laughs> and I know uh, it's, you know, it's it's difficult to, uh, you know, to uh, generalize, right? It's a whole sector, but still give gives yeah, give some thoughts there. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and limit it a little bit to the United States, uh, not the yeah, whole yeah. Sure. sector global, and even that is is very broad. Mm -hmm. So, I think that uh, racism is embedded in the the DNA and the culture of the United States. Um, it's it's a part of the water that we swim in. And therefore, it's a part of the water of the nonprofit sector, the NGO sector. Um, and we all carry that lens, that it's a filter through which all of us see. And so uh, 
throughout my career, there are more and more organizations who are explicitly working to end racism, or at least to be aware of how racism has impacted their work. But I would say for the better part of the 20th century, um, when the NGO sector here in the US really was, was being built, that was not the case. So um, it's hard for any organization, any institution who is not able to recognize or see or acknowledge uh, racism in society or even within the institution to, uh, to correct it. So I think we have a long way to go still. Um, that said, I think in the 21st century, we're in a much better place now. Um, we uh, have better language around what's going on. Um, we have uh, more academic work to help us understand what's going on. And we have more practices to help repair it. Something that I think we need to pay attention to as we go forward is um, recognizing racism as a really fundamental part of our culture, but not the definition of who we are as human beings. Um, and that's why working at a faith-based organization um, and still working on anti-racism and social justice is uh, a really important um, piece for me because it allows me and our organization to talk about uh, who we are as spiritual beings um, while we are addressing uh, racism and other injustices in our world. But we have a long way to go as a sector, I would say. Hey, music is very important to me, so I always have a music-related question as well. Um, if I ask you to come up with a piece of music um, or a song uh, which best describes, you know, best embodies uh, who you are, you know, for a big part, um, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Maurice, I love this question. Uh, so one of my um, hobbies is mm -hmm. I'm a singer. I sing in a group called Songrise, which mm -hmm. is also a nonprofit organization. And we are a women's acapella group who sings oh. social justice music in the DC area. So I love this question. And I have to give you two songs because I love okay. music so much. I couldn't okay. narrow it. <laughs> so the first song is I Am Light by India Ari. Cool. And I love this song because it reminds me fundamentally of who we are, who I am and who mm -hmm. we all are. Um, I can get so distracted by, you know, superficial aspects of myself or problems that arise and forget myself. But at the end of the day, uh, we're all beloved children of God, full of light. So it's a very simple song, um, but it's very profound, um, which mm -hmm. is why it's such mm -hmm. a powerful reminder. The other song that I chose is Rise Up by Andre Day. Mm -hmm. And this song is about resilience, but not just for one's own sake. It's about being resilient for each other and being present uh, to encourage one another. So that resi resilience and reliance on one another is our strength. At the end of the song, she repeats the phrase, we will rise, we will rise. So it's, it's about rising up together, especially in the face of adversity. You know, both those songs are on my playlist. So, so, um, and, and uh, yes, that, that, that is great. Um, 
it just for you and and the listeners as well a reminder that you know we've made a uh, a playlist of this podcast called uh, hashtag walk talk listen and all the songs that are picked by my guests you, know, you can find and it is from classical music to soul to hard rock heavy metal um you nice. know to folk so so uh, i i always enjoy it uh, listening to it because it reminds me of the great guests that i've had Hey, um, you know, Steve Hartman of CBS, he started to examine uh, the simple act of kindness and its rippling effect, potential rippling effect. And uh, I don't know if that's on television or on, on online. Um, I have two questions around this to you is, is that um, what do you think about the potential of a simple act of kindness and its uh, rippling effect? That's one part of the question. The second part is, if I ask you this week to do a simple act of kindness, what would you do? I do think that kindness can be very powerful in uh, transformation. I myself have experienced uh, small acts and deep acts of kindness. And I've, I've seen the change in a person's demeanor or their attitude um, when I've been uh, unusually kind to them. So I, I agree. I think it can be extremely powerful. Um, if I were to do an act of kindness this week, hmm. so I'm, I'm recently married. I got married in September of last year. And I often think about, uh, how to do simple things, um, with great love uh, to demonstrate to my husband that I, that I love him, particularly if I'm feeling frustrated or if I don't, if I don't feel like doing it. Uh, so I think, um, if I were to do an act of kindness, I might, um, do something like, uh, clean out his car or, um, maybe pick up, uh, trash, uh, that has blown sort of on the sidewalk or the the grass near our house, either for around his car or maybe near my neighbor's neighbor's house. Great. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, and and in terms of picking up garbage, I, I um, if you for the listeners who haven't checked out um, the previous episode, I mean the the. the I think now I have to think. There is an episode with uh, Josh Spodek who went off the grid, uh, you know, I think now eight or nine, nine months ago, lives in New York. But he talks a lot about, you know, garbage um, and his footprint, of course. I I, I think it's really um, in, inspiring and, and to listen to him, um, you know, his efforts in trying to motivate others also by his behavior. Um, so yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Um, yeah, these these conversations always go fast. Um, uh, still, you know, any message, uh, invitation, question uh, for the listeners? I am excited that folks are listening to this podcast and thinking more carefully about how we connect. And I would say uh, faith in public life is very much aligned with that. So. My invitation is that if you are a faith leader of any religious tradition, 
here in the U.S. and you want to uh, be in a community, in a network with other folks who want to make the world a better place, um, particularly as it pertains to our democracy and a healthy democratic process, please do visit our website at faithandpubliclife.org and sign up for our mailing list. Um, we have lots of opportunities to, to engage. And I also want to encourage everyone and remind one another that uh, even though things may be challenging at times, uh, I, I hope that we can all remember that we are related to each other um, and that uh, we are loved of God and uh, that when we remember that we can love each other better. Thank you for that. Uh, any, any question that I should have asked you, which I didn't? No, you asked excellent questions, Maurice. And I think that um, I was able to share everything I wanted to share today. Great. And, and uh, well, one, one quick last question, because you said uh, you're also part of the a cappella group. Yes. So can people listen to your songs or, or to your performances? Yes. If you are in the Washington, D.C. area, we only perform locally. Uh, you mm -hmm. can come to some of our live performances. We do two concerts a year. Uh, okay. But if you are a social justice group and you're hosting mm -hmm. an event and you need uh, free entertainment, um, just let us know. And if we're available, we will come and sing at your event for free. You can also listen to our music on YouTube and uh, I'll share the, the links with you, Maurice, to put in the show notes. Great. And, and the name of the group? Song Rise. Song Rise. Okay, great. Um, thank you so much, uh, Janae, to, for today, for sharing your wisdom, for who you are. Um, and yeah, absolutely great. Um, thank you so much and, and good luck with... Well, it's not a new job. You've been doing it for nine <laughs> months, but now it's it's really official, right? So, so uh, yeah, all the best for, for that. Thank you, Maurice, for inviting me. And I will say I love to walk. So next time you go on your walk, if you need someone to walk with you part of the way, not the whole way, I'd be happy to join you. <laughs> Great. I, I, I will hold you to that. Excellent. Um, thank you so much. Okay. Um, you for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram <laughs>